Welcome everyone to the Money Mentors podcast. Glenn Fairburn here and once again joined by my co-host Nathan Lear. Hey Nate, how's it going? Yeah, good thanks Glenn. How about yourself? Yeah, not, not too bad. Uh, and look, I suppose today's topic, what we wanted to have a chat about was really it's an ongoing challenge for a lot of um, not, not just investors, not just retirees, but I think a lot of people um, that are sitting on cash, obviously looking at a situation where the cash rate is at historic lows, 0.25% could fall further, um, and people are really crying out for, for an alternative. So today we're just going to have a brief discussion about what some of those alternatives are, but also discuss what the pros and cons are of, of each of those options. Um, Nathan, I, the, the first thing that comes to mind when we're looking at short-term investments um, or alternatives to cash, I think it's important to bear in mind that we don't, over that very short period of time, what we're focusing on today is probably investments that people may need access to within 12 months. So we're not looking at shares, property, these sorts of assets that we've spoken about recently, you know, shouldn't be viewed as a short-term investment anyway. So it's really just what are the assets that are generally shorter term in nature? Um, and I suppose the first one that comes to mind, first come off the rank would be, would be term deposits. But even at the moment, they're, they're providing some pretty lousy returns, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, yeah, look, definitely. I mean, you mentioned before, Glenn, you know, interest rates at, at you know, kind of record historical lows. So the, the Reserve Bank of Australia, you know, sets the cash rate. It's at 0.25%. So, um, yeah, it's pretty low. I guess we haven't really seen it this low before. So, um, you know, you get a bit of a margin on that on, on cash and term deposits. So, um, you know, from what, from what we're seeing, Glenn, you're probably lucky to get, you know, kind of like the one and a half percent, aren't you, on a, on a kind of high yielding bank account or a, or a term deposit. Are they kind of the levels you've been seeing when you, when yeah, you looked at it? Look, it does vary. And I think it, it does vary from uh, institution to institution. I mean, a lot of the, the top tier banks, you're probably lucky to get 0.5% from a 90 day term deposit, but there's some other sort of second and third tier lenders where you can still get that 1%, um, you know, 90 day fixed rate. So look, it does vary, but, you know, you're struggling to even just keep up with um, with inflation. I, I, it, it is a real struggle over whatever time frame. I mean, obviously, the advantage of those term deposits are that you're locking in that rate for the duration of the investment, but the disadvantage is um, that those funds are locked away. So, I mean, term deposits in, in general um, are really challenging at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, as you said, it depends on the... Depends on the term, and um, I, I know that like I've seen, yeah, some kind of cash and term deposits getting kind of close to one point five. But I think yeah, you're lucky to probably get anything above that from what, what I've seen. So, um, and as you mentioned b before, I think you mentioned inflation. So, I mean, obviously, inflation has has recently just just come down a little bit given COVID nineteen. It's actually gone slightly negative, um, yeah. but you know, typically inflation you know has been running around anywhere from you know one to three percent. So, um, you, you definitely want you know, a good amount of interest above above that to kind of kind of compensate you, so your your money keep keeps pace with its real value. Yeah, and look, um, the obvious advantages are that you know what the rate of return is. So if rates fall, you know you're going to continue to receive that rate over the duration of the of the term deposit. Um, there's a government guarantee up to two hundred fifty thousand um, dollars. So look, there there are a few advantages. Yes, the cash rate's low, but 
there, there's, there, you know, there's still the risk that it could fall further, isn't there? Yeah, and I was actually just going to ask you, Glenn. I mean, I mean, my, my take on it from, you know, no, we always say this, we're not economists, but, you know, we obviously read things and have views, but it's hard to see interest rate going up anytime soon, isn't it? With, oh, you know, with unemployment going through the roof, with inflation quite low, it's probably likely to be the, we're saying it for a few years now, but the new normal, isn't it? Low interest rates. Yeah, l- lower for longer. I mean, can you imagine getting back to the longer term average of like 6 or 7%? anytime soon you just can't see it within the next three four years at least so it's going to be a continuing challenge mm. exactly so it's going to be yeah so so the, the hunt for yield is kind of it's been it's been a theme for a couple of years but it's definitely going to be going to be ongoing um one would say for for kind of many many years glenn yeah and, and i suppose if, you, if you're looking at a direct alternative or a investment that's fairly similar to term deposits there, there are still some high yielding cash accounts available in the market. Like a lot of the banks have at call accounts that they offer a superior rate of interest. Um, and some of the banks, I don't want to name any names, but some of the banks that I, that I looked at, you can still get, you know, around, well, one, one bank in particular was offering a four month uh, introductory rate of about one and a bit percent. Um, but that's the catch, isn't it, Glenn? It's yeah. the, Exactly. I think the banks rely on people opening the account. Oh, great. Introductory rate, four months, and then four months passes and they're too lazy to, to, to move the money, aren't they? Right. So and after the introductory rate, it's probably going down to like, what, half percent of that? Yeah, well, the, the rate? Well, this particular account, the, ver- the standard variable rate was, was 0.55. Then it had this yeah. additional 1.45 for four months. So you're getting 2%, but that's not for the full year. That's only really over that four month period, and then it does revert back to 0.55. So you really need to look at, as you were saying, the fine print. Um, there's other, there's another account by a major bank that's paying about 0.9% and that's at call cash. So I think you need to do your research with these at call accounts. All the banks have them now, I think. Um, I mean, earlier to markets, you know, the ING accounts and so forth, that, they were probably the, the, the old ING savings maximizer was one of the first that came into the market a number of years ago, but now a lot of the banks and financial institutions do offer them. Um, but as you said, you've really got to look at what the hidden details are. Some of them have additional introductory rates. Others require you to contribute a certain amount each month as well. Um, but the disadvantage with these at call accounts is that the rates are variable. So if rates do fall, then so too does the return. So there's just some different factors to take into account, isn't there? I think you're on. I think you're on mute there for a second, Nathan. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Where do you want to go next, Glenn? What's um? Well, look, look, I think move, alternative yeah, term I think, deposits. Yeah, look, I think if we move away from term deposits, I think maybe we'll go on a bit of a journey, Nathan. Sort of go up the risk curve a little bit. If we're looking at absolute low risk, then obviously it's cash, term deposits. If we go that little step up on the risk curve, we're looking for other sorts of credit and. We have spoken about this before, but fixed income or capital secure assets is fairly broad. Everyone's got a different definition. What we talk about within fixed income may be different to others. So look, there's no right or wrong. We're not saying that these investments are fixed income per se, but in our view, that they're sort of credit type investments. So this is what we'll focus on. If we move up a step, we're probably looking at government bonds, aren't we, Nate? Yep, definitely. I was just about to say, 
the government bonds. And I was just, as, as you're talking, I was going to try and quickly find the, the rate on the 10-year government bond. But um, I think it's around 1% off the top of my head, but maybe we'll check that in a minute, Glenn. But um, yeah, so yeah, so going up the risk curve, as you said, I mean, pretty safe. I mean, you're lending, you're lending your money to the, to the Commonwealth, to the Australian government. So pretty safe bet that you'll get that back. Not, not everybody can say that in, you know, South American countries, for example, where, where some countries have defaulted on that debt. But yeah, going up the curve, the risk curve, um, I'd say government bond is, is, is definitely the, the next thing. Um, any chance to see the rate there, Glenn, or not, not yet? The, the, like the 10-year government bond? It, it is very, very low at the moment. As we said, the cash rates, you know, 25 basis points. I think it might even be around that 60 basis point mark. Um, when we're looking at government bonds, uh, you, you mentioned, obviously, the Australian government bonds. Um, what, what we look at to determine risk is the credit rating, investment grade above triple B. Um, but if we're focusing on, you know, hometown, we're looking at Australian bonds, they're triple A rated, so very, very secure. Um, a slightly higher return perhaps than, than cash. Um, but once again, in the short term, because bonds are listed on a market, their price can fluctuate. So although you may get a superior return to cash, there is the risk that your capital could be worth less at some point in future. Would you agree that that's probably one of the major risks of, of, of that sort of um, investment? Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk. Just before I mention that, answer that, Glenn, I just, I put up the, the rates from, um, from Bloomberg. So the, 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 so this is, this is Australian government bonds. The two year yield is 0.25% for two years per annum. Um, for five years, it's 0.38%. For 10 years, it's 0.88%. So um, that's under, that's under 1%. So yeah. not, 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 you know, high interest rates at by any stretch of the imagination, but no, no. We're very safe, uh, obviously, as we spoke about a second ago. Um, in terms of, Glenn, your question then about capital, um, so obviously with a, with a fixed rate bond, which, for example, you know, that's what we just talked about. So if you lend the money to the, to the government for 10 years at, uh, and they're giving you 0.88% each year, um, if you... If you if you lend them, um, you know, ten thousand dollars, or you know, invest ten thousand dollars, you you'll get that ten thousand dollars back if you hold it to maturity. But the issue with, as you know, we've probably spoken about on these on this podcast a couple of times before, if interest if the interest rate environment changes, um, you know, effectively the capital value of the bond will um, will move because, uh, and you know, as interest rates that, that we're talking about that inverse relationship where if interest rates go up and all of a sudden other investors can get a 2% 10-year bond and you're left with that one that's paying 0.88%. The, the, the capital value of that effectively declines. So yeah. um, not, not everybody understands the, you know, the, 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 the price risk of, of, of bonds, and especially if they're, as you said before, Glenn, if they're traded on a secondary market, not, not everyone understands that. So it is important that yeah, the sensitivity to interest rate movements uh, of the capital price that you know, potential investors do understand that. And look, that's where I think it's it's in when you look at the advantage. There's also a disadvantage because if we're if we're comparing bonds with term deposits, um, obviously term deposits aren't traded on on a secondary market, so the capital that you invest won't fluctuate in value. But the downside is that the funds are locked away. So if you lock yourself into a three month term deposit, and then in a month's time you need those funds, you can't get access to them. Whereas a bond although the price may fluctuate, it's a very liquid secondary market. So 
if you want access to the cash, you can get it pretty quickly. Um, so that's probably a major comparison. If we're, you know, with, with cash, yeah, bonds, we're getting a slightly higher rate than cash, maybe depending on the term of the bond, depending on the term of the term deposit, there may not be a great difference, would you agree, between the bond income, coupon return or interest rate compared to term deposits? There's not a great difference, is there? No, pro- pro- probably not. Like, yeah, as we just different explained. different the... isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Glenn, did you want to, uh, we've probably explained this a few times, but did you want to just quickly go through the concept of negative interest rates? Because there is some countries that are, that have negative government bonds, interest rate government well, bonds. Did you want to really... that That's basically where you're paying to have, you know, the security of the government, aren't you? Because you think the value of your funds is going to go down or the value of cash is, is eroding. Yeah, that, that's right. So, yeah, so some, some government bonds will have a negative interest rate where, you know, it might be like negative 0.5% where, you know, investors are, are basically copying a, a, a loss each year on their capital um, for, I guess, for safety because, you know, they could be worried about the value of the, the currency or inflation or w- whatever it might be. So that that can that has happened in, in some even Western countries at the moment and, who knows, you know, it could happen here. There's some people that have talked about it in Australia. So we'll, we'll wait and see. And, I sp- and just on bonds, it can, one of the disadvantages of bonds in particular is that it can be difficult to access that market um, on, on, a, on a platform or on a um, secondary market, given the, the sort of parcel sizes. So for a lot of retail investors, that, that can be one of the challenges is being able to access them. Um, so by way of option, that's where, Investors could look at like exchange traded funds, ETFs, which there's a number out. There's a number of them out there on the market that provide pure exposure to government bonds. So they might track a certain index. Um, there's also some ETFs that provide a combination of government and corporate debt, all investment grades. So you can get a fairly secure exposure to a number of different bonds without having to pick, a, you know, one or two or 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 pick a certain time frame. Um, there's bonds that will have a diverse exposure to local government, federal government, um, corporate bonds and varying maturities as well. So you, you don't get as much volatility or fluctuation in your asset value. So there's a number of different options to access that and market. What, what, Glenn, what yields are you seeing on those at the moment? Look, it depends on which one that you see, but um, there is... I mean, for example, one of the one of the indexes that a number of ETFs track is the Composite Bond Index. Um, and if you look at overall return profile, you could be getting income around that sort of two percent mark, maybe just north of two percent, which is obviously better than term deposits, better than just pure government bonds, because it does have some corporate debt in there as well. But there is an opportunity where you can get income around, you know, north of two percent, slightly, slightly north of two percent. Yeah, and once again, depends on what 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 the the exchange traded fund is replicating. If it's government bonds, it might be obviously more like one or two. If it's corporate bonds, it might be up around you know three. If it's high yield corporate bonds, who knows? It might be like four or five. But you know, there's many different options out there. But you know, we would caution investors before you invest in anything anything like this. You really need to understand what it is, what it invests in, what 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 the risks are, what you know, because there's there's the, the duration or the maturity of it can can affect um, the price right. of interest rates move. So really need to seek advice and understand what they do and what they, what, what they track. 
or invest in. Definitely. And that's where fixed income or credit in general is a, is a very complex um, investment type because there's varying degrees of risk. I and mean, we're trying to work our way up the risk curve. Um, I suppose when we talk about bonds, what we're, that generally is viewed as a, a, a debt instrument that ranks pretty high up um, on, on the scale. So if, if the entity does um, default or go into, into credit issues, if you hold the bond, you generally rank a lot higher than other, than other debt holders. Um, I suppose, once again, going on that journey, taking a step up, um, looking at some other alternatives, there are other types of private credit type investments with the evolution of the market, with the increased number of investments available on the ASX, even unlisted type investments, there is opportunities to invest in corporate credit. So essentially investing in a pool of loans that have been provided to um, private or, or even public companies that use those funds um, to fund their own operations. Um, in our experience, there's a number of those on the market. And what would you, like for a sort of high quality private credit type investment, would you say that there's an opportunity to get around that 5% mark, Nathan, in, in income return? Is that what we're seeing at the moment in private credit? Yeah, yeah. once again, depending on the, the nature of it, I was just, yeah, actually just going to make the point, I was going to make the point, um, you know, we went through kind of, government bonds being probably the, you know, the, the lowest risk in terms of bonds, but then you've got, you kind of go up the risk curve and you're getting into corporate bonds and yeah. um, so loans to companies basically. And if their credit rating is, you know, triple A or double A or A or, you know, whatever it is, a high credit rating, the interest rate you're going to get is extremely low because it's a very safe, safe bet that company has a high credit rating. But as you start going down the credit rating into the B's and the C's, for example, um, that's where your yield is really going to increase. So, if you, yeah, depending on, on you know, Glenn, you just asked what, what kind of interest rate you might get. If it's, you know, depending on the, the nature of the companies that they're lending to, uh, if that's what we're talking about, kind of um, private credit over companies. Yeah, and also depending on where you sit in that capital structure, isn't it? When we spoke about bonds that rank really, really highly, that below that there's different tiers of security, isn't there? So, I mean, you're right, the, as you... As you start getting a higher rate of return, the risk profile increases and also the security of your capital um, um, is, is probably yeah. a greater risk. But we're, we're def, you know, there's, there's a couple out there that are, you know, in our view, pretty, pretty good quality that are, you know, say that four to 5% on a yield. So they're definitely out there. Uh, I, I think that the key things to look for, because you might say, well, 5% is a pretty good rate of return, doesn't seem too crazy, seems pretty safe. Uh, what, one of the key things that I've been talking to clients about in particular really the last you know, five, six months has been case in point in that although some of these investments can be really, really secure, um, you can go through periods of a market where there's almost like a sell-all mentality, isn't there? Um, and some of these credit investments that we're talking about, uh, that they can be listed on the stock market via like a, a listed investment trust so like an etf but an actively managed one now the underlying loans may be priced at say a dollar per share but as soon as it's listed on a market there's that risk that it could trade above or below the net asset value of the loans and, that, and that's what we've seen a bit of in the last few months isn't it nathan yeah definitely the liquidity risk our uh, pricing risk of some of them anything that's 
as you said, listed that has a, is traded on a secondary market, it can the price can be erratic. So yeah. there's definitely a few intricacies that you know we caution any investor to understand before investing in these types of investments. Okay, one, one, one particular fund that, that we watch pretty closely, you know, has, has a loan value of, of, of say $2 a share, um, had performed very, very strongly for a long period of time. Um, but then during the height of anxiety around COVID-19, you know, the, the actual share price or the unit price fell from $2 down to, you know, $1.25, even though the underlying loan book was still $2, there was this panic and anxiety around the ability for those companies to sell. So the market just reacted pretty harshly. It has since recovered back up to almost that $2 mark. But as you were saying, it's just very important to be aware of the pricing risk when it is a listed structure. Um, the risk that you have in an unlisted structure is that if it's a, an unlisted fund, you may not get that pricing risk. But what you, what you don't get is the liquidity that a listed investment provides. So in a credit investment like what we're talking about, because it's a pool of loans, it might be 150 loans. Generally, these funds can provide some liquidity, meaning that you can get your funds out if you need to. But if there's a rush on funds, that particular manager of that credit investment just can't um, satisfy the requests of everybody. So you do run the risk that you may not be able to access your capital for a long period of time. So once again, as you go up that risk curve and, and you get a higher rate of income, um, you are exposed to potentially pricing risk and also uh, liquidity risk as well. Definitely. And, and that's where the time frame of investment is really important because, you know, if, if you need funds very quickly, then really you're probably not looking at anything other than cash. But the moment you start going up the risk curve, whether it's bonds, whether it's... Um, private credit or, or listed credit, uh, you really need to be extending the time frame at, as to which um, you may need access to that capital. Yep. One, one investment type, um, and look, there's hundreds of different types of credit investments. We're not going to spend hours going through every single one of them, but um, if we go up the risk curve a little bit, from our perspective, Nathan, within our business, other advisors might disagree, but one um, fixed income type investment that, of which some investors might call an alternative is, is a secured um, first mortgage. Did you want to just explain what they are, what sort of return profile and the risks inherent within those? Yeah, so, I mean, maybe before we, we go into that specific example, I mean, another, I, I guess you can lend on anything, right? Like, and, and the question is always, what's the, you know, as investors, we always ask, what's the quality of the security? So if you're lending to one of Australia's top 50 companies, like what's the likelihood they're going to pay, pay that money back? If you lend to the government, what's the likelihood they're going to pay you back? Yeah. So there's other kind of private lending where you can lend money to an individual, but they'll put up a security. Okay. Yeah. And because obviously the property market is such a big you know, part of the world in Australia, um, there's quite a big, uh, as you mentioned, Glenn, it's quite a big market for, um, property-based lending, I guess, or secured first mortgages, as you put it. Yeah. Um, obviously, look, look at the banks. I mean, how many people, um, you know, will go to a bank and, and want to buy a house and that house is put up for security and then the bank lends them money. Uh, and, you know, the bank is, you know, generally pretty happy to lend up to, you know, maybe 90, 95%, you know, depending on the quality of that person's income and the, and the property, the quality of the property. So 
there, as I said, there's a big there's a big market for this in what we kind of call non-bank lending, or uh, I think there's other kind of terminology to to describe it. But um, basically, what it is, uh, it's a way that you can through this non-bank lending. It's a way that investors can get a get a higher rate of income return because inherently there's going to be a little bit more risk. Um, because you know, if somebody can go and get a loan from a bank and you know, the, the variable rate on a loan with a bank is two to three percent, um, well, maybe they can't get a loan from a bank due to maybe they're self-employed. It's hard to how to prove income or they don't have documentation. They might go to one of these non-bank lenders, and um, so it, it's a way that investors can get access to, uh, I guess, fixed income style investments that are a little bit up the risk curve, where you might be able to get an interest rate of. And probably five, six, seven, eight percent. Glenn, is that from around the ballpark? Yeah, I think that's thinking? pretty fair. Yeah, it, it, it does vary, but yeah, anywhere between sort of five and eight percent is what we're seeing at the moment. So, look a little bit more as an investor investing in this fixed income investment. I mean, generally, um, investment one hundred and one: the higher the risk, the higher the return, the higher the risk. So, if you're getting an eight percent income return, um, there's probably inherently a little bit more risk, um, but if you unpack each investment, whatever it is, and you know we're talking um, over you know secured first mortgages, and the property is a security, and it's a it's a the 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 property is in a great location, and the loan to value ratio is you know less than sixty percent, for example, then maybe that's a a, a risk that an investor is prepared to take on and is comfortable with. Exactly. Would you add any yeah. Yeah, and th that's where any investment that you go into, there has to be an exit plan, doesn't there? I mean, if you're providing a loan to somebody, um, I think we were chatting about this the other day, Nathan, that you need to go in and obviously on the assumption that it's all going to be fine and you're going to get your interest and your principal will be repaid at the end of a 12 or 18 month period. But to appropriately manage the risk, you also need to have your exit strategy and say, okay, if there is a default, if the borrower can't repay, what security do I have to protect my capital? And as you were saying, Nathan, the security in these types of fixed income investments is usually fixed, you know, property. Um, and that's where you want to make sure that the loan that's provided isn't beyond a certain level. And, and I know that the mortgages we look at, the loans don't exceed more than 66% of the value of a property. So if there's a default, so long as the property hasn't fallen by more than 34%, then your, your capital um, is still protected. And, 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 and that's where, because of the level of security, generally it may not necessarily be that you lose capital, but the additional risk that you have with a, with a secured mortgage, secured first mortgage, is that if there's a default and you need to take possession of a property, then you need to think about the process that you need to go through in order to recover your capital. So it's you know, taking possession of a property with which... You know, there's legal issues involved there. It's marketing the property, it's selling it, and it's settling it. Um, so although your capital may be secure, you, you could be waiting 12 months before you receive your capital back beyond what the original maturity was. So once again, yeah, you can get a really good rate of income, but it's important to understand the risks and understand that, yes, although it may be a 12-month investment, that if there's a default, that 12 months could easily turn into two years. So that's where really anything within 12 months, you don't, my, my personal view is you probably don't want to consider anything other than cash, but if you're comfortable going beyond that time frame, maybe it's one or the other of the investments we've spoken about today or a blend of all of them. And that's really where you need to seek the advice of a you know, qualified advisor. Would you agree, Nathan? 
Yeah, yeah, I was def definitely going to say, Glenn, about um, the point you made about diversification, obviously, is um, across, you know, across fixed income, we're talking about fixed income or cash fixed income today, you definitely want to want to spread your money around because, I mean, even the mortgages we just spoke about, um, you know, we, we, we do recommend some of these investments to our clients and we're always going to spread it around. We're never just going to have our clients going to one mortgage because if yeah. there was an issue with that one mortgage, it could, you know, it could cause problems for them. But also it's important to spread the risk across your entire fixed income portfolio across these, these different, um, you know, types of securities to manage, manage the level of risk. Obviously the interest rate will adjust accordingly, but um, you know, you might end up with a, you know, diversified fixed income portfolio generating, I don't know, four to five percent all up. It really just depends on how it's constructed. Yeah, and that's where I mean, the topic of today's discussion was alternatives to cash. We're sort of talking about a number of different types of investments, but I think what's pretty clear is that we're not suggesting that a mortgage investment is a comparison to cash because it's just not. But if we're looking at investments that can provide a higher rate of income with potentially some capital security, then these are the options that people could be considering and talking to their advisors about. Um, but really there's no alternative to cash, is there? <laughs> like if you need access to funds today, then cash is your friend, isn't it? Whereas if you can push out the time frame as to when you need access to the fund, that's where you can go further and further up the risk curve. You can relinquish a little bit of liquidity. So if you need funds in three months, then maybe it's a term deposit. If it's a year, maybe you're looking at a combination of you know government bonds or corporate bonds if it's beyond a year then as we we're saying nathan you can perhaps go a little bit further up the risk curve and look at some some credit type investments that are secure or some some mortgages backed by you know property that can provide a higher rate of income so it's important to look at um how long you you can invest for um but and, and also what sort of liquidity you may need. Would you think they're sort of the main things you need to be looking at when when you're looking at investing in what would classify as fixed income or cash type investments? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think you've, you've summed it up pretty well there. Well, look, I think that sort of covers off, look, as, as we were saying earlier, Nathan, it's credit, fixed income, cash. There's so many different options. We try to give people a bit of a taste for some of the ones that, that we look at, look at across our client base. Um, it is important to do your research if they're cash accounts with um, honeymoon rates or um, additional bonuses. Just understand for how long do you have to have the funds locked in for? Do you have to contribute additional funds? And what's the rate after that honeymoon period? If we're term deposits, um, understand the liquidity issues there. Um, understand that the rate's locked in. But then beyond that, you're really going up the risk curve and, and the level of complexity. So it is important to do your research understand the risks, the benefits, um, the exit strategy, and, and I think that'll hold you in good stead. But as always, what we would suggest is you really need to speak to your advisor about this because it is fairly complex. Um, so I think we'll wrap it up then, Nathan. So thank you again to everyone for listening and we'll uh, chat to you all again next week. Thanks everybody for listening again to another episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Um, if you enjoy the, the content, please do subscribe to the podcast. Um, via um, any good po podcasting app. Um, once again, please check out our major sponsors website, Hewison Private Wealth. Um, so just, just search for Hewison Private Wealth online. Also check out Hewison Private Wealth's 
um, social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, Thanks again. We'll see you next week.